Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, October 3rd, 2021. The sheer ID numbers for Friday, October 1st, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 17,850. That's 17850. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 17,852. That's 17852. This morning, A Vision for You presents The Grouch and the Brainstorm Were Not for Me. The Big Book teaches that to get over drinking, or of course for us, compulsive overeating, will require a transformation of thought and attitude. The 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to compulsively overeat and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. In other words, the 12 steps can keep us food sober and happy, bringing about a spiritual awakening, a change in the way we think, a change in the way we feel, and a change in the way we behave. Many of us assumed that if we stopped compulsive overeating, practicing abstinence only, all of our problems would be solved. Unfortunately, this wasn't true. By stopping that behavior, we did solve problems directly related to compulsive overeating. Perhaps we lost weight and our physical health may have improved. Perhaps we were more alert. Perhaps we moved better. Perhaps we slept better. Other problems persisted, however. Resentments, anger, rage, isolation, dishonesty, and fear continued to create problems for us. Problems that stemmed from our character defects did not go away just because we quit eating our binge foods. Abstinence is a physical solution. The big book says we are suffering from a spiritual malady. Liquor, says the big book, was but a symptom, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. Steps 4 and 10, the inventory steps, are the means by which we bring new vision and light upon the negative side of our natures. We examine our behavior, our character defects that cause us and others so much pain. We monitor our character defects and their consequences through a daily inventory taking prompt corrective action as needed to keep our slate clean and our character defects in check. The grouch and the brainstorm can't be for people like us. Joining us today to speak on this very topic is Liz T., a recovered compulsive overeater from Minnesota. 
Liz is committed to trudging our 12-step path of recovery, which, of course, includes carrying this message of recovery. And with all that, I welcome, with great gratitude, Liz T. to the line. Hi, good morning. Thanks, Leah. I hope you can hear me okay. I'm out on my porch on my my headphones. Excellent. Uh, Okay, great. Uh, Good morning, everybody. My name is Liz T., and I'm from Minnesota, and by the grace of God, I've recovered from compulsive overeating. One day at a time, never cured. My mental obsession to compulsively overeat has been removed by the process of working the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous on a daily basis. Working those steps in order while being abstinent through the process and developing a relationship with my higher power. It's a daily reprieve, as we know, contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. Thank you to everyone doing service for this meeting, and thank you, Leah, for the beautiful intro. It just basically sums up my entire talk. (laughs) I love it. Uh, It's always such a special surprise to hear what the intro is going to be. Um, And welcome to any newcomers or returning members. Set aside prayer. God, please set aside everything I think I know about you. Everything I think I know about myself. Everything I think I know about others. And everything I think I know about my own recovery. For a new experience with you, God. A new experience in myself. A new experience with my fellows. And a new experience in my own recovery. Please help me to see the truth. Amen. So I'm a compulsive overeater, and I've thought about that word a little bit over the past week. And, you know, um, I think in the AA 12 and 12, it it mentions gluttony in there. And that wasn't always an easy word for me to swallow, but essentially I'm a glutton, you know. And we may not like the word, but that's what I am, and that's what I was doing. I was practicing gluttony when I was compulsively overeating. And it wasn't until I accepted that fact deep down in my soul and the depth of my bones that I was ever going to be able to recover from this ferocious beast we call compulsive overeating. Um, When I would resort to eating my binge foods or pretty much any food in excess, no matter how much I would eat, I would want more and I would still not be satisfied. There was this aching feeling in my soul, a hole in my soul that I was just trying to fill with food. And if it wasn't with food, it was something else, applause, attention, uh, success, um, you name it. Um, When I would finally stop eating, though, um, either by running out of the food or passing out completely with that bloating, um, disgusting feeling of being overly full, um, I would not be able to control or reasonably predict for how long I'd be able to stay stopped. I would stop and then I would think, okay, this is it. You know, I'm done. I'm swearing off. But then wouldn't you know the next day or the next week or the next month against my own will, because this disease is controlling me and not vice versa. I had the delusion thinking, you know, I could control it. I will be doing that same thing again and again after just swearing off that I was not going to do that, that again, after that last binge, I was done. You know, I was through forever. I'll start over Monday, I'll start over next week, I'll start over January 1st, whatever. Um, That was the nature of my disease and active food addiction. 
I'm also a grazer, so I would basically eat my binge, you know, in small amounts throughout the day. Um, so it was like having an IV hooked up into my arm uh, with a constant drip of some concoction, you know, of whatever my combinations that I like, you know, that I that I would indulge in. It would be, uh, I don't know, flour, sugar, high fat, salt, high salt combinations, just pretty much any processed food, you name it, in, in a bag or a box. Um, I'm, I'm powerless over food and my life is unmanageable, whether I'm abstinent or binging. So we think the insanity is, you know, when I'm eating compulsively and, and I'm in that crazy cycle. Um, but I noticed even more insanity when I would become abstinent, when I came into OA and, you know, learned what abstinence is and what it means for me and started abstaining from my binge foods, um, the emotions that Leah mentioned in the intro, you know, um, character defects, it's like they were coming, coming to the surface, you know, put the food down and, and life pops up. I'm feeling everything. And without a spiritual solution as outlined in the first 164 pages of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I am an emotionally unstable train wreck just waiting to happen. And then I would use those buildup of emotions um, as an excuse to eat. You know, it's like, well, it's like a pressure cooker building up. I could maybe swear off for a while and then um, the irritability, restlessness, discontent would raise to a peak that then the food would become a step up to the way I was feeling. If I didn't have a spiritual solution, if I didn't have the 12 steps to intercede and um, intercede before that first compulsive bite, I'm without defense and without a mental defense against that first compulsive bite. And um, I, uh, I came into vision for you sometime in, I think it was around 2016 or 2017, somewhere in there. Um, I had an Ebby that told me about the meeting and invited me to the meeting and said she would go on with me. She also invited me to, you know, um, announce myself as a newcomer. And um, I worked with various sponsors um, over those past few years. Um, I gave a special edition um, on this phone line, uh, February 17th, 2019, entitled Job or No Job, Husband or No Husband. Um, if you want to go back and listen to that in the archives and hear more of my backstory, feel free to do that. Just know that I had relapsed since that special edition. So I'm back as a newly recovered woman again, and um, and here to uh, I guess show that the program still works. You know, uh, relapse unfortunately is part of my story, but um, it doesn't have to be the end of my story. So by the grace of God and the gift of desperation, because I know this program works if I work it, and I, quite honestly, I have nowhere else to go. You know, this is. This is the last house on the block, and Big Book Recovery for me is the last house on the block within OA. There's no other, for me, there's no other way for me to recover um, the type of eater that I am. Um, I didn't leave. I stayed. I did never leave the room. Thank, thank you, God. And um, I've been entirely absent now from all my binge foods, ingredients, compulsive food behaviors since August 25th of 2020. So a little over a year. I asked my current sponsor to help me last October 2020. I was um, 
in the middle of a ninth step with my previous sponsor and was just struggling on one of the amends. And so I called a few recovered fellows to get um, some guidance and I ended up deciding to work with this new sponsor. And um, she noticed in my voice that I was still a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck. <laughs> that, it's, that it talks about an XXI in the doctor's opinion, you know, and I, I had that nervous disposition. Um, you know, everything could put, look put together on the outside. You know, I, you know, I, I, I think I usually looked, you know, cleanly dressed and, you know, I don't know, approachable. Um, but inside, it's that internal spiritual malady. I, I was, I was just a wreck. And um, so, anyway, she took me back um, through the steps, and she had noticed, you know, by step nine, you should, should probably be feeling a little more serene experience more more of the promises and like I said I, I, I just really had this nervous disposition I was very much in like a perfectionistic mode about my food and ingredients I had taken it to the other extreme um and in towards a I don't want to say anorexic but that's kind of the direction I was heading um and so anyway my new sponsor took me back through the steps not because I had picked up the food um but because she wanted to see me have the experience, the entire psychic change, and to witness that. And, you know, I was desperate. I was willing to do anything. I just didn't want to feel like I was jumping out of my skin. You know, I just, I just wanted that emotional sobriety. I wanted what I could hear on the lines when people said they were recovered and, and um, had a certain palpable peace in their voice and in their disposition and in their manner, you know, in their um, approach to life. So anyway, um, I'm grateful for going back through the steps again. And by God's grace, you know, he carried me through each consecutive step from one to the next. And I no longer felt white knuckled in my food sobriety. And just like it mentions on page 46 in We Agnostics, as soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction, provided we took other simple steps. And I was talking with a fellow this week, and she said, isn't it funny how every time, you know, we get through one step, it says, and now there's more. <laughs> there's more. We're next, we, you know, we continue, continue with vigorous action. It's so true. You know, this program has taught me that I, I need to act my way into right thinking. I can't think my way into right action. It's not um, a chapter. There's not a chapter called into thinking. It's a chapter called into action. And there's also a chapter called There is a Solution. So this book doesn't just tell us what we have to do or what we need to do. It tells us how the recovered fellows did it. And that's, that's what's so special to me is that we walk together side by side. We hold the flashlight for each other. We hold the lantern. Um, we walk together. I have fellows that are a few steps ahead of me, many, many steps ahead of me. And we, we um, gain wisdom from each other. And then I have fellows that are, you know, new, and I gain strength from them as well. Um, I also love the line in that same area of the book, um, page 46, we found that God does not make too hard terms for those who seek him. 
And that just reminds me, you know, I thought I was so beyond help. You know, I was so um, terminally unique. Um, if you had my life, you would need to eat too. You know, there's just no way out of this. You know, God, how could he possibly care about my little food problem? You know, my idea and concept of God was so small and minuscule. Um, today, I just know that my vision of what I can see is so tiny compared to what my higher power knows. And if I just trust and rely on that, things are going to go much better than when I'm trying to run the show. When I tried to run the show, I just would run my life into the ground. I mean, I had a great life. I really did, you know, but I couldn't even see, I couldn't see the forest or the trees. I couldn't see the good. I had an attitude of, you know, the cup was always half empty. Um, when is the next shoe going to drop? I really lived in fear. You know, I lived a lot in fear. I was trying to arrange my life a certain way so I wouldn't have to feel discomfort. And that's just not reality. I mean, we're going to have uncomfortable things happen in life. We're going to have people die and pass away. We're going to have a pandemic to deal with. We're going to have kids that maybe don't behave the way we want or how we think we're raising them. So many things out of my control, but when I put everything in God's hands, things just seem to turn out much better than when I'm trying to micromanage everything. It's really a much more peaceful way to live. Um, I don't recall at what age exactly when I started eating for ease and comfort, but I'm guessing it was sometime around age seven or eight because I remember getting off the school bus and just feeling lonely and not really lived out in the country. I didn't really have, you know, a ton of friends close by, I had cousins in the neighborhood and stuff, but I just would go and I would use TV and, um, you know, the kitchen, raiding the kitchen, and just that was kind of my alloy of food and speculation, right? I just, that, that was my alloy, the, the TV and, and the snacky foods, and I'd watch things like Gilligan's Island, The Cosby Show, I'm dating myself now, you know, the 80s, Little House on the Prairie, The Jeffersons. And I just have a couple of vivid memories of going back to the fridge and back to the cupboards. And even at that young of an age, thinking, you know, this isn't normal. Why do I keep doing this? Like, I wanted to stop after the last Oreo, but why am I back in the cupboard looking for more, you know? So I had an inkling even at that young of an age that it wasn't quite normal what I was doing. And I don't remember that going on and on forever. I think I must have gotten busy with sports or something around that age, but I do remember um, in the fifth grade, a boy in my class jokingly, I don't know, he just came out of his mouth, something about that I was chubby. And we were friends and he didn't say it real meanly, but I just remember it vividly and it stunned me. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, like he sees something about me. My insides are not matching my outsides, whatever I'm thinking, how I want to portray my life he's seen through that, you know, and that, that was a vulnerable state for me. Um, but anyway, I can remember his face, his name, and the classroom we were in. So it was obviously a pretty vivid memory for me. I'm guessing after that, I was more aware and started somehow controlling my weight more because I remember my mom was always on diets. In fact, she was even in OA at one point and lost 90 pounds back in the 80s. She didn't keep it off for long, and I don't think she ever worked the 12 steps that I'm aware of. 
And so I tried one of her diets and started hanging out with the popular girls in school. You know, that was around sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And overachieving became my drug. Um, I got good grades, had a lot of friends, um, but never felt, just never quite felt good enough or comfortable in my own skin. Um, there was always more to do, more to accomplish, and people to like me, right? It was like I was running for um, student council. I became class president. Um, all of that was all about being liked and um you know, I had a lot of friends. I, was, I think I was a good friend to most people, but I think I had those ulterior motives that they both talked about, even though our motives are good sometimes, you know, um, they can put us in a position to be hurt. So, um, but yeah, I, I became like a human doing rather than a human being. And so I, I did not have a spiritual connection with my higher power. I based my self-worth on my intellect, my good grades, and popularity. Today, I know my worth is grounded in who I am as a child of God, not in what I can do or accomplish. And that is revolutionary for me. And there's no way I could have gotten to that sort of peace without the work of these 12 steps, working through these 12 steps, and developing a relationship with my higher power. Because that's where I get validation and esteem today. When things are not going well, I run to my higher power now and I go to quiet time and I reflect. And if I'm really, you know, worked up about something, I, I do a 10 step and I look at my part and I share it with a fellow. Sometimes it's by text, sometimes it's a call. Um, and it's by sharing that with another compulsive overeater, you know, especially in my fifth step, um, hearing all my stuff, my, my past poor behaviors and all of that. They still loved me and accepted me for who I am. And that really helped with that, um, I don't know, the, the, the lack of feeling connected, um, the fear of being judged. All those things started to dissipate, um, especially around step five. And then, of course, more in step six and seven um, as we identify our character defects and pray to have them removed. and. Um, this time through the steps, I went a little deeper in step six and seven with my current sponsor, too, and that was revolutionary. Um, but, yeah, no self-help book or even church were successful at teaching me who I am as a child of God. You know, God has only has kids. He doesn't even have grandkids. He loves us all equally. We're all just bozos on the bus in this world, just sick and trying to get better. You know, we're just, we all have our unique talents and we bring so much to the table, and um, I, I can just really value that and appreciate it today. I don't have to look at people and find what's wrong with them, you know, how they should be different. I can find the good qualities, and that's a total perspective change for me. That's nothing of my own doing. That is God working through me and me being willing to be open and, and remove the blocks that were forcing me into that kind of negative thinking. You know, it, it was it was just my, um, I don't know, it was just the way I, I was living. It's hard to describe. Um, so anyway, yeah, no, no self-help book or church were, or anything outside of myself were able to give me the, the sense of even comfort I get from building a relationship with God today. So fast forward to motherhood, and that's when my disease really progressed. Um, I couldn't get the pregnancy weight off, my old tactics, my old schemes, my old dieting, 
like my old toolkit for living was not working anymore. Um, I was becoming very miserable and just not a very happy mom or wife. It just, you know, or, you know, just sat on the couch. The fatter I got, the more demanding and dictating I, I got to do this and do that for me. And my husband never could quite do things quite right. And, um, you know, on the outside, I had to keep up the facade, you know, that things were good, but inside my home, um, there, there was that sense of tension. You know, it's like, how can you tell that you're living with someone in active addiction or, you know, a dry drunk or whatever? It's, you're walking on eggshells. And that's what I was causing for my family. They didn't know what to expect from me from one moment to the next. And I think today in recovery, I'm becoming a more level person, you know, more predictable from day to day. We don't have to go on these crazy up and down roller coaster emotion roller coaster emotional roller coaster rides with me anymore and it's kind of funny sometimes my husband will be upset about something and I'm like wow I'm the calmer of the two like how did this happen <laughs> he was always the level-headed you know mellow guy and and I was kind of the one out there a little bit and um today I can notice now when he's worked up because I'm not so wrapped up in my crap all the time um so anyway motherhood um couldn't get the pregnancy weight off you know um, unmanageability was increasing i was at 250 pounds on a 5-4 frame and that was around seven years ago when i first came into oa i had googled food addiction can't stop eating nighttime eating i was just eating all the time i don't know how else to describe it it was just I remember my husband looking at me and saying, it's like, it's like you don't care about yourself anymore. Like, it's like I had given up, you know, I just was living to eat, not, not eating to live. Um, so in a lot of ways, I was like Bill W. in chapter one and Bill's story where he was waking up in the night to drink in order to avoid the shakes and the delirium tremens and the withdrawals. I think, you know, looking back, I think I was waking up because I was going to withdrawals you know, two or three hours without my binge foods, especially a grazer, um, my body's wanting more. You know, it's like, wanting more, it's starting to wear off. Um, and that's the progression of the disease, you know, that vicious cycle, running around around, pretty soon I'm just a dot in the middle. It's like circling the drain. I don't have a lot of time in between. I wasn't even swearing off anymore. It's like I just resolved that's what my life's going to be. Um, so anyway, the withdrawal for me felt like severe anxiety. I'd wake up and I was calling it anxiety and going to doctors saying I had anxiety. But I'm looking back, I realized, you know, my cells and my body were biologically begging for more. That physical addiction, it's no different for me than a heroin addict. I don't know what it's like to come off a heroin, but in a lot of ways, that's how I was feeling. Or I can relate to that, you know, that it's, it's just like you're crawling out of your skin. It's very uncomfortable. Um, I would blame, blame my eating on outside circumstances as excuses to eat, but let's face it, I was physically, emotionally, and spiritually dependent on excess food to exist. I was not eating to live for nutrition anymore. I was merely existing to eat, like I mentioned. I've heard it called passive suicide, not willing to kill oneself per se, but I was slowly killing myself with food. And, you know, the, the health issues were happening, um, plantar fasciitis. I had gestational diabetes with all three pregnancies. 
Um, I was on insulin with the last two pregnancies, so I'm predisposed to type 2 diabetes right there. Um, losing my breath, you know, going, going up a, a flight of stairs, not being able to get on the floor and play with my kids. Sitting on the couch and just being the grumpy old troll, you know, I mean, um, the list goes on and on. I, I mean, I have a predisposition for heart disease. I mean, you go, go on and on. Any, any obesity-related illness um, runs in my family. So if I want to ever give this program up, I know what's out there waiting for me. Um, the, con the conventional weight loss programs were obviously no longer working. I was gaining weight while paying. I was paying money, you know, to go to this pain weigh group, and I would weigh in, and I was basically paying them so that I could get on the scale, and it was going up. So clearly that was no longer working, and I was upset, you know, that I was paying money for that. Um, they even had um, healthy food delivered to my door. I used a program, one of those expensive ones. So, I mean, think about the money. <laughs> if I did if I did a spreadsheet um, on the amount of money I spent on weight loss schemes, I mean, it, it would just be through the roof. I actually did that exercise one time as part of my step one, and it was very eye-opening. Um, but yeah, I would order, you know, that um, healthy food delivery program, and then um, I would end up, you know, cheating by the end of the day and binging on popcorn and candy bars in the evening. So obviously that was the, um, the mental twist coming in and saying, oh, you followed your plan all day, you were a good girl, you can handle this, you know. Um, that was the mental twist right then and there. I didn't know I was in the mental twist, but looking back, I can see that now. Um, I was so frustrated with myself and depressed. And so this is where the grouch and the brainstorm comes in. As my disease progressed, and especially during periods of abstinence while in OA, I would feel more irritable. I would blame it on the hormones or PMS or maybe even early menopause. I'd go to doctors, got on multiple antidepressants, went to therapy, tried exercise. Um, I beat on my feet so much that I ended up with plantar fasciitis and couldn't even do Zumba anymore. You know, Zumba is supposed to be low impact, but I'm not, you know, 250 pounds, 250 pounds on my frame. Um, then I was having all these feet issues and I had to go get all these different insoles for my shoes and I could only buy the $300 shoes because they had the proper arch. And if we don't think this disease affects all areas of our lives, we're crazy because it does. And that's the insanity of my disease. Now, now I'm trying to treat my feet. You know? <sighs> so how about um, the list goes on and on as far as methods that I've tried and failed. Cabbage soup diet, you know, the um, curves, it was like an exercise circuit. They had their, their book and their um, low-carb plan, Weight Watchers, Seattle Sutton, Jenny Craig. No disrespect to any of the conventional weight loss systems. I know they work for some people. They actually worked for me early in my disease, but they don't work anymore. I mean, I, I have to concede to my innermost self that I am the real compulsive overeater, and I am not going to go back ever and be able to make any of those programs work. I, I've crossed that threshold. I am now the pickle. I can't go back to being the cucumber. You know, and that's all step one of this program, I have to admit my entire complete defeat and my powerlessness. 
Um, even within OA, you know, dieting with group support. Um, early on, I tried working the steps without being entirely abstinent until I got into big recovery, in particular in this meeting. I didn't even know what that meant, you know. So um, it took it took the village that we have here and, and the recovered rooms that um, recovery rooms that show me what it means to to bust through some of my old delusions of what it means to be a compulsive eater. Um, I would work with sponsors. Some took my food, some didn't take my food. And even when they did take my food, I wasn't always 100% honest about my food. You know, I still was manipulating, um, had manipulating behaviors, um, weighing and measuring or not really weighing and measuring. I mean, there's all sorts of loopholes. If, if, if you're not out of ideas, there's all sorts of loopholes. Um, but it wasn't until this last time through the steps about 10, 10 months ago when I truly was been finding emotional, re emotional recovery through the steps and the spiritual malady is being treated, you know, ongoing, that home of my soul is being treated with steps 10, 11, and 12. And I'm feeling some recovery from those debilitating mood swings and emotional binges. And um, the AA 12 and 12, does a nice job of describing those on page 90 um, about emotional hangovers. You know, we put the food down, and then for me, you know, I, I could easily binge on anger or self pity or, you know, like pity party. What does it usually end in? You know, a cake, right? If you stay in that long enough, if you don't have the, the, the toolkit, the, the um, set of tools steps four through nine to get out of self-pity and get out of resentment and anger, um, what, uh, what is our default mechanism? We're going to go back to the food. So I don't want to do that anymore. It's too painful. Um, so now if I get upset about something today, and it's not if, but when, right? We're still a human being. That was another delusion I had. I thought, oh, once I get recovered, you know, I'm not going to have any disturbances. No, that's not reality. I have less. But there's still days I get logged up about something if I'm not, you know, tapped in to my higher power. Um, it, my higher power does still get blotted out by worldly clamors. Stuff happens. I get triggered by something, and, and I have to use my fellows and pick up that phone and, and get back reconnected. I, I can't, you know, I charge my cell phone all day long. I'm constantly, you know, plugging it in, keeping it charged. What makes me think that I can run all day long just by doing some prayer and meditation in the morning and a nightly review at night? I mean, I don't, I don't expect my phone to do that. I don't only charge it in the morning and at night. I charge it throughout the day. So I need to tap into my charger as well, and that's my higher power. And sometimes it's through other people, and sometimes it's just the pause, like going down, you know? Um, I've noticed sometimes I can fall into, like, being busy all the time, being busy, um, wanting to do service all the time. It's great to do service and be helpful to others, but if I'm getting depleted, you know, is that really good? Is that God's will for me? I have to, I have to stop and ask God, what do you want from me today? And that's usually my two-way prayer. In the morning, I do a two-way prayer, and I'm just like, what do you want me to know today, God? Like, show me the way, and then he writes back to me, and I know that sounds kind of hokey, like, what are you talking about? But I did a little research on two-way prayer and the origins of the Oxford group, and I've been using that 
um, more recently, and I, sh I have a sharing partner, and that's just been a beautiful way to enhance my Step 11 practice. Um, so anyway, back to the title of my talk, The Grouch and the Brainstorm Were Not For Us. Um, and oh, I just wanted to say about the 10 step that, you know, I used to deny my emotions. I didn't know what I was feeling. Everything just felt like hunger. Any, any emotion felt like hunger. So now with a weight and measured food plan, I can look at the clock and if it's 10 a.m. and I'm feeling quote unquote hungry, I say, okay, what's going on with me spiritually and mentally? Because I, I don't eat until noon and I normally don't feel hungry until noon. You know, I have my breakfast and then I eat around noon. So if I'm feeling like starving around 9.30 or 10, like what's going on? And it's usually that something's going on with me that I don't want to face or deal with. There's discomfort, right, emotionally. And um, so if I try to ignore it, it's just going to build. And so I have to be aware of my, of my body that, you know, those knots in my chest or in my stomach, um, that there might be more to it. Maybe I need to drink water. Maybe there are, you know, things like that that I need to do or, or go for a walk and just get out of whatever is, you know, eating at me at that moment. But um, if I let that build, you know, I, I, I know I need to use the 10 step at that point and connect with God and, um, and let him keep working his miracle, you know, let him, let him keep working his miracle in my soul. So anyway, the grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. That's page 66 in the big book. Um, the paragraph goes on to say, it might be the dubious luxury of normal men or, or women, but for alcoholics or compulsive readers, these things are poison. So it's poison for me to be grouchy and brainstormy? What? Um, but it's so true. You know, we hear over and over in the big book, you know, anger, resentment is the number one offender. It kills more alcoholics. Um, so that this line, and it's found in Chapter 5, how it works, um, and, the, and the, you know, the four-step part of the book. Um, it also says, if we were to live, we had to be free of anger. And if you would have asked me, if you know, when I first came in, or even, you know, early absence, if I was angry, I would not have been able to admit it, I don't think. Um, I'd probably say I'm sad, depressed, frustrated, but not angry. And I, 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 I'm a sweet, you know, I have a sweet personality. Um, I can get along with people, but deep downside it's that brainstorm. It's that brewing that I do. It's, um, that's what the brainstorming for me. It's like that brewing, the ruminating, the thinking, and eventually it bubbles up. And in the past I would pick up the food and it would be like, I was letting the pressure out of a balloon. You know, it's like, shh. Um, but that no longer works for me. You know, I today I get my sense of even comfort from God, and I I want to be, for lack of a better way to describe it, drunk on God. You know, and that is where I, I find true peace and serenity. So, um, yeah, and back then it was like my motto was if people would just behave, especially my kids and husband, employees, coworkers, whoever, then I wouldn't need to eat so much and I could get on with my life. You know, and that, but that's not true either. People can do what they need to do, but I don't have to be so dependent on everybody else to uh, um, determine my emotional temp temperature. You know? 
I was using food as a solution for every emotion, but blaming food as the problem. But really I was using and abusing the food and it wasn't about the food. Like Leah mentioned, it's um, getting down to causes and conditions that we do through the inventory process. Um, I was basing my, my inside condition, my internal condition on outside circumstances. And as we all know, we can't change anyone else around us or make our conditions or circumstances a certain way to be happy. I have to adapt myself to my circumstances and live in acceptance. And I don't know about you, but I can't do that on my own. I cannot will my way to be an acceptance. It, it comes through the process of the 12 steps and I need God's help, but I need a miracle. A complete rearrangement of my thinking, emotions, and attitudes. An entire psychic change, and that's what the 12 steps have done for me. Um, speaking of acceptance, you know, page 417, um, we talk about acceptance is the answer, but also, um, it mentions when I complain about God's handiwork, I am saying that I know better than God. And I realized that that was arrogant when I complained. That's a form of arrogance. And I did a lot of complaining. So back to the grouch and the brainstorm, I looked up the definition, and it, the definition of grouch means one who is habitually irritable, grumbling, whining, Bonking or complaining, complainer, fault finder. And that was me. You know, I was, I had this magic magnifying glass that could find, you know, the, the slightest thing that was off. I could walk in a room and I could see the messes the kids left instead of seeing the beautiful artwork that they just colored. I would see the mess. Um, and I can easily fall back into that behavior and that, those traits if I'm not careful and stay close to God throughout the day. Um, and one way that I do that too is just taking good, better care of myself, you know, taking a break when I need to, saying no when I mean no, saying yes when I mean yes, taking a mommy time out, um, making a call when I feel agitated, asking God for direction. Um, Biting my tongue so that I don't yell or criticize. And I can be very, I had a critical parent and I can be criti very critical of my children too. And so I want to I, I break that cycle. I don't want to grow up with the voice of a critical parent in my head forever. Like, like, you know, that critical parent has left through the 12 steps. And if my kids eventually need a 12 step program too, that's completely fine. It's a great way to live. Um, but to the best of my ability, I'd rather not be that critical parent in their head for the rest of their life. Um, so anyway, it's an, it's an ongoing living amends for my family to be a more present mom and, and find the good of the situation rather than always pointing out the negative. And then the um, definition of brainstorm, fits of rage, sudden violent disturbance of mind. Um, for me, it's the overthinking, the overanalyzing, the obsessive thinking about things, trying to fix, manage, control someone or something, thinking if I think about it long enough, I'll come up with a solution. 
Um, that is an old, that was an old uh, delusion. And if I just think about this long enough, I've got to come up with a solution. I didn't ask God into any of that, you know. And when things crop up, I pray, God, please remove the obsession. I'm Al-Anon sponsor that I had not too long ago. She would remind me to do that, ask God to remove the obsession uh, of whatever it is. You know, I'm powerless over X, Y, Z. Please remove the obsession and restore me to sanity. Step two, if I'm compulsively thinking about something, I am insane. I'm not turning things over to my higher power at that point. And that's what I need to do, ask God to restore me to sanity and, and get out of my own way. Um, the definition of brainstorm, another one is a spontaneous group discussion. Um, I had to chuckle about that because if I'm in my head brainstorming, um, I am in the company of me, myself, and I, right? Uh, the itty-bitty shitty committee of me, myself, and I. Um, and so, or it could be gossiping with others. You know, I, that was a character defect of mine, gossiping, and I have to work hard not to fall into that. Um, and uh, what I was going to say about the me, and myself, and I is that, you know, the thinking, the ruminating on page 66, it also says it, the squandering of hours that might have been worthwhile, the amount of time I used to think. I know when I first came into program, I thought, how am I going to have time to do all this stuff? The calls, the meeting, the food plan, the food prep. Um, then they want me to give back my time. I remember thinking all that. And it's amazing. Like, you put the food down, and you work the steps, and God just, like, opens up all this time because... I'm not wasting it, squandering it on things that, first of all, aren't in my control and aren't in my concern. If I'm, you know, over in someone else's lane, it's none of my business what I'm thinking about. So um, it does open up time and I can be more helpful to others. And ultimately, enlarging my spiritual life is service and self-sacrifice for others, right? Um, I used to think it was, you know, sitting in prayer and meditation all day long or sitting on the spiritual hilltop, but actually said self-sacrifice and work for others is really where I feel God and work God, see God working in other people's lives as well and being able to witness that. Um, so anyway, I have more time to do things and enjoy, enjoy life because I'm not wasting so much time obsessively thinking about things. Um, I've heard it said that worrying is living in the future, resentment is living in the past. When we have one foot in the future and one in the past, guess what? We're peeing on the present, right? So God is in the present moment. Um, serenity is in the present moment. And just that serenity prayer, you know, God, help me accept the things I cannot change, encourage to change the things I can, and wisdom to the know the difference. Um, it boils down to that simple serenity prayer. Step 11 promises um, that um, we are in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, and foolish decisions. Page 88. We become much more efficient or we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. And one of my favorite lines in the whole book is page on page 86. We relax and take it easy. We do not struggle. Like I said, I was a um, nervous 
trembling, despairing, nervous wreck, right? Um, whether I was in the food or not, I, I just had that nervous disposition. And my current sponsor, I remember her saying, you know, you, need to, you know, I want to see you relax. I want to see the steps work on you and God work through you and see you relax. And I can say today, I, I do feel more relaxed. I do feel more comfortable in my own skin. I don't feel like I'm running or hiding or, or can't look the world in the eye. And that I could not do. I could not have done that without the the, the inventory process. Um, dubious. The word dubious. The dubious luxury. So dubious means uncertain, questionable, or debatable. So what I got from that is that like it may be the dubious luxury of other people, meaning like maybe it's not so great for anybody. You know, being the grouch or the brainstorm you know, the road rage and all that kind of stuff we see out there in the world. Um, perhaps it's not the healthiest for any of us, but for me, it will kill me, you know? And for a normal eater or, you know, any, a normal, a non-addict, they can maybe indulge in anger from time to time. But for me, if I do that, I am risking my abstinence. I'm risking my food sobriety. I perhaps, if, if it's not treated through the 12 steps, I will see food as a step up to those uncomfortable emotions. And yeah. that has been my history. And so today I, I just want to stay tapped into the source. And it's a proven method that really works. It's been working for over 80 years. How am I, who, do I, who am I to think that I am an exception, that I'm so special or so far gone that it's not going to work for me? I mean, talk about humility. Just to be willing to take direction and Try something that has worked for others, and we see in our recovered fellows that it's working. Oh, and the word luxury, something not essential, but tending to bring about pleasure and comfort, something expensive or hard to obtain. And I thought about that, and I thought, is this, is anger really worth dying for? You know, pleasure and comfort, am I getting some vicarious thrill through justified anger? Um, it also talks about that on page 90 in the AA 12 and 12. You know, we may think we have justified anger. I didn't really have time to, like, break down what it all says in the AA 12 and 12 on this, but go ahead and, and read it and study it yourselves and the emotional vendors it talks about and emotional hangovers. Um, you know, those can, those can, be, those can be tricky. You know, um, so like I said, some people can get occasionally angry, but for me, it's dangerous. And that's why the 10 step helps me see my part in the disturbance and diffuse my anger and accepting reality for what it is and practicing the serenity prayer in real time. Um, I'm talking about emotional sobriety and what it, what it means to me. Today, and I just wanted to mention that Bill W. did an article in the AA newsletter called The Grapevine in January 1958 called Emotional Sobriety, The Next Frontier. And um, you can Google it and find out more about it if interested. And I found it to be a lovely read. It talks about dependence on other people. Um, and, and that just resonates with me, too. I came into OA the vanity, thinking my problem was all about the food and weight, and today I see for the sanity, the emotional sobriety, if you will. And um, being in a healthy body weight 
is a nice bonus. It's a nice aside, it's a nice side effect of working the 12 steps and being entirely abstinent. Um, I used to think I had to get to the healthy body weight and then my life would straighten out and that just was never the case. I had to um, put the spiritual with the spiritual program. Um, enlarge my spiritual life and my mental and emotional life worked out. Um, I think it says, as the spiritual maladies overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically, and that has been my experience as well. I think that's on page 20. I'm not going to quote the page. I'm not sure, but it's in the big book. Um, the mental clarity and peace and serenity that comes with recovery through the big book cannot be described with words, and no money could ever buy. Like I said, all the money I threw at this thing. Um, just mind-boggling. Today I live a life that I don't need a vacation from. I never thought I would say that, but we are living in an area that is beautiful, and we're, I'm so grateful, and my kids are happy. We, we moved this past summer, and it was very stressful. Um, a lot of unknowns. You know, are my kids going to adjust? Are they going to hate me for this? But little by little, we are adjusting, and, and my 13-year-old comes home from school with a smile, and she says, bye, Mom, I love you. I mean, it's just weird, crazy stuff coming out of her mouth, where before she was kind of that little grouch and brainstorm, I'll be, I'll be honest, you know, 13-year-old. Um, but I don't know, something's just changing revolutionary in my family, and I'm just sitting back and watching it like a movie and just enjoying it. It's just being like, God... Bring it on. I like your way much more than mine. <laughs> um, it is indeed miraculous. If you would have known me seven years ago, and some of you on this line maybe did, you know, we have some fellows on here with me today that have been through this this ride with me. Um, I was not a pretty sight. Page 16 states, an alcoholic in his cups is an unlovely creature. My marriage was suffering. My job and career were suffering because of me and my my behaviors and my compulsive eating, my outbursts, my grouchiness, my brainstorming. My kids were suffering. In fact, whether I admit it or not, my disease affects everyone else around me. Page 18 states, it engulfs all whose lives touch the sufferers. It brings misunderstanding, fierce resentment, financial insecurity, disgusted friends and employers, Warped minds of blameless children, sad wives and husbands and parents. It doesn't say husbands, I added that. Anyone can increase the list. In other words, um, I was not on a winning streak when I came into OA. And I was not a happy camper. And I was especially uncomfortable when I first became abstinent. Then I really was feeling everything. And... Um, I had no buffer, no numbing agent. Like my nerve endings run outside of my body. So if you're in early abstinence and you're uncomfortable, welcome to our disease. Embrace it. Embrace the discomfort. Lean into it. Really use that step two. That is my best advice. Really lean in. Scream at God. Yell at God. Tell him it sucks. Whatever you need to do, get on your knees. Accept that this is our disease. Picking up the food again, it might feel good for a few seconds or minutes or depending where you are in the vicious cycle, you know, on the spectrum, how advanced your disease is or 
how progressed it is. You know, you, you might get some something out of it for a while, but eventually, at least in my case, I got nothing from the food anymore. It was more painful to be in it than to get out of it. Um, I love the special edition by Kim G on the Vision for You website um, from December 20th, 2015, called What is the Real Compulsive Overeater? It's the podcast I listened to early on. I was still in the food, um, but her message could cut through my food fog. It's just incredible. Um, and it's very powerful for anyone new or returning or not quite sure if you really need to do all this work to recover. It just busts home some of my old delusions about the disease and about diet and about weight and about the fellowship. Um, and it helps me realize I am the real compulsive overeater. I mean, that's done in step one. The food convinces me of that, but I had to hear it from recovered fellows, not the BS of, you know, some of the BS that we hear. Um, I needed to hear it from someone with depth and weight and also from sponsors. Um, well, we were talking about, you know, the growth and the brainstorm and, you know, it being just said the dubious luxury. Um, and I, it, it reminded me of the, um, the sick man's prayer, prayer, the resentment's prayer, you know, that we do and we do a 10 step. God, you know, please help me see this person as a sick person or struggling or hurting, just like me. I mean, we really don't know what other people are going through. I mean, if my insides didn't match my outsides, there's a good chance maybe theirs don't either. They might look like they got it together, but we don't know. Everybody's got their stuff they're going through, right? So please help me see them as a sick person. Please save me from being angry. Rescue me from being angry because that anger is what's going to kill me. It's going to lead me to the first compulsive bite. And once I take the first compulsive bite, guess what? I'm off to the races and I'm in the vicious cycle going around and around and around again until I finally stop. And I don't know when that's going to be. And I might, it, and it may not be forever. I may die out there. So um, being rescued, I needed a search and rescue mission. And God, I believe God has one for all of us. He wants us all to be well. He wants us all to be happy, joyous, and free. I'm not special. I just happen to be willing to do the work. Just happen to be willing to take direction. I was desperate enough, you know. Um, I've never been this contented, you know, this content in my abstinence before ever, ever in my life or in, in recovery. It hasn't been easy, and I'm just, you know, finally relying and depending on my God for, for everything. Not, compart not compartmentalizing my life, like, okay, God, I'll let you into my food, but not my marriage. Or I'll let you into my food, but not my parenting. Or I'll let you in my food, but not how I'm going to have my relationship with my aging parents. No, I have to let them into everything, like the intimate details of my life. Um, and that's revolutionary for me. I worked through the steps again, like I said, with my new sponsor. And quickly, it can be quickly, within a couple of months, became recovered again. And then recovered for almost 10 months. My top weight was 250 back in 2014. Uh, I, I think I regained about 25 to 30 pounds in that last relapse about 18 months ago. Um, I don't think it showed much on my body, you know, but I knew it. And um, by the grace of God, I didn't have to, you know, go out and get a new wardrobe. I, ha I had enough baby clothes, I guess, still in my closet. But 
you know, I was down to like one or two pairs of pants again, still, still thick. So I had gotten rid of all my fat clothes when I initially lost, you know, the whatever it was, 90 pounds or whatever or earlier on. Um, and so now God has removed around 125 pounds. I mean, that's crazy. I'm half the body weight I was then. Um, and you probably ask, you know, what was different this time? And I can just say I'm more desperate and more honest. Honesty is a big thing. Um, you know, I do, if you would have asked me, you know, I was cash register honest. I thought I was honest. But when it came to my food, I still had little white lies in there. And I just had to become entirely honest with my sponsor about all of it. And then um, the recovered fellows that I work with daily, too, with my 10 steps. And um, just more humble, more willing to let people into my world, more willing to go to any lengths to recover. They recovered. And I think this time through, um, my sponsor also helped me see where I had been wishing feeding the perfect food plan. Um, you know, get the toughest sponsor, try to get her abstinence through osmosis. You know, I really had to determine what it was for me. What, what creates the phenomenon craving, the phenomenon of craving in me? If I'm just taking a food plan from somebody else or, you know, if I had one customized to me by a nutritionist and that helped me own it you know this is my food plan this is based on my body my body my type you know my my activity level my age she took all that into consideration and um and so I didn't have to you know obsess so much about it being so scrupulous I just trusted what my nutritionist provided me and the weight just came off you know I wasn't in there meddling trying to make it all perfect anymore um so yeah we all have our own journey and our own gifts and talents and no one can do this process for us i cannot get it through osmosis i can't get it from just listening to this meeting every day i have to actually work the steps and do the step work and work with others and that was an old delusion too i remember the other the first time i got recovered it was like I don't really think I was probably really recovered because I did not get a lot of joy out of sponsoring at that time. And I am getting more joy this time. So I feel like those promises are coming true. You know, that having had a spiritual awakening, the step 12, you know, step 12, um, practicing these principles in all our affairs, like realizing that having a sponsee and working with others is not only helping them, but it's helping me. And things that come out of their mouth remind me of what it was like for me and where I can go and what I need to do. And it really is a two-way street. It was not about me with any agenda of who I'm going to, quote, unquote, get recovered or, you know, that's completely out of my control. I am just as powerless over their disease as they are. I'm just there, like I said, to hold the lantern, hold the flashlight, share what's worked for me, share what hasn't worked, and trust that they have a higher power and they have, and that higher power has an amazing plan for them, better than, than we can imagine. So um, I just believe, you know, if God brings me to a situation, he will bring me through it. He's not going to drop me on my head. He's not going to bring me this far and drop me on my head now. I just I have enough recovery behind me that that is a deep, deep belief of mine. Um, and there's no way around this thing. There's no loophole. There's no shortcut. There's no elevator in the steps. 
there's no elevator in recovery. We take the steps, right? We take each step one by one, one after the other. We're not doing it alone. We're being carried, first of all, by our inner power, but also the support of the fellowship. We're making those outreach calls. We're saying, hey, what step are you on? I'm on this step, you know? What did you get out of this chapter in the book? Um, it's taking it to that, that next level. No one can get us or make us stay absent or recovered. I mean, I am beyond human aid. I know that for a fact. Only God can do that. Um, so yeah, early on in recovery, I was basically obsessed with the first half of step one. It was all about the food plan, all about perfect absence. And I was just missing, missing the whole point of the rest of the steps. And um, obviously my life was still unmanageable. And, and irritability, restlessness, discontent would build, you know, to that point. And um, I just, this last time through, I just, I could feel that raising. I hadn't picked up the food yet, but I was, I was jittery. I was jittery in my emotions. And um, I was afraid I would be, you know, not too far from picking up again. And so I just went back through the steps, like I said, had a spiritual experience. Um, And, um, you know, just speaking of um, the spiritual malady deeper down inside, I um, remember listening to a speaker by Bob Steve. I just wanted to, a, a speaker called, his name's Bob D. He's an AA speaker. You can find him on YouTube. Um, but he talks about that internal, um, internal spiritual malady. And that's just something I'd suggest to anybody struggling or a newcomer that's like, what do you mean? You know, I thought this was just about food and weight. Listen to that and see if you can relate. That was helpful to me. Same as um, Sandy B talks about the spiritual, the spirituality in the program. And I think it was him who says um, the program, the AA program of recovery can be boiled down to two words, let go. And it's like, wow. Yeah. I, it's simple, but not easy, right? It can complicate things. Um, so I might take my own advice and go back and listen to some of those. For some reason, they popped in my head as I was preparing for this. I thought, well, maybe it means I'm supposed to share it. Maybe it'll help somebody. And I think it'll help myself because it reminded me to go back and listen to those too. They're helpful. And, you know, God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free, whatever it takes, right? Um so anyway, surrendering and letting go completely, the result was no unless we let go, absolutely, right? Page 858, um, if you're still struggling, ask yourself, are there some old ideas that I have that I keep trying over and over? You know, the definition of insanity, doing the same old thing over and over, expecting different results. What was more insane for me was doing the same thing over and over, knowing what the result was and still doing it. And that's because I have that broken memory, right? That broken bridge. I can't remember the last binge. I can't remember the pain and suffering. All I can remember is the even comfort that it's going to give me or might give me this time. And I take that risk, play Russian roulette yet again, thinking, oh, I'll get absent again tomorrow or the next day until I can't, until it's weeks, months, or years, or maybe I'll never get it back. Abstinence is a gift. It's precious. It's not something I can just throw around like a piece of, you know, like I can just throw around or throw away and pick back up and put through the garbage disposal and go dig it back out. No, it's a gift. It's, it's a miracle. 
and my willingness to do the work, God's grace will come in. My God is not codependent. He's not going to do work that I can do for myself. He's not going to come down and do the food prep for me. He's not going to make the phone calls for me. He might put a fellow on the other end of the line that speaks truth to me that maybe I don't want to hear. It makes me uncomfortable. Um, but my higher power is a gentleman and, and waits for me to seek him. And then when I seek him with the desperation of a drowning woman, there's so much help at my disposal. You know, it's like I'll get on the rescue, the, the raft, you know, the, the rescuing, if you think of OA as like the, the raft, I'm drowning out in the ocean and they, they send a, a boat to come get me. That's OA. And I have to be willing to get in the boat, not be picky about the color of the boat. I'd be like, uh, you know, you have what I want, but I don't really want to do what you do. So I'm just going to stay out here and drown. You know, that's basically what I would do. I would have perfectly capable sponsors of taking me through the steps, but I wasn't quite yet out of my own ideas. Um, so, yeah, six and seven were revolutionary, different for me this time through the steps as well. And I'm going to try to, you know, wrap up in the next five minutes or so. Um, but, um, you know, seeing my character defects and um, being willing to ask God to remove them and then being willing to not only have them removed, but to start practicing the opposite. So gossiping, for example, I need to be willing to start saying kind things about people or catching myself when I'm gossiping and saying, oh my gosh, I just polluted that conversation. I'm sorry. Let's talk about something else. Or my brother wants to gossip about another sibling and I just have to say, you know, I don't know what's going on with them, but I know today this is what I need to do and I need to stay in my, my lane. Or I'll say, not my monkey, not my circus. You know, it's none of my business. And if I can be helpful, great. But if I can't be helpful, it's just going to make me feel crappy about myself. And then I'm going to have an amends to do. And if I don't do the amends, I'm going to feel crappy and I might pick up, you know? So I'm just, by God's grace and, and um, the seven-step prayer, you know, my creator, um, help me not engage in those activities anymore. Keep me safe and protected. Rescue me from myself, basically. Um, yeah, it is page 25. Um, but it, the spiritual, when the spiritual malady is overcome, I will straighten out mentally and physically. Um, so the mental anguish and mental um, gymnastics of not only being in the food and weight obsession, but also obsessing about outside circumstances has quieted way down. Um, and it's such a relief to not have to be the actor and the director. You know, page, page, um, uh, pages 60 to 63 or somewhere around there in the big book. You know, that was my life. And that has quieted way, way down. It's such a relief. Um, and as far as working the 10th step, you know, I have a few go-to people that I really let into my inner life. And, you know, fear of in intimacy was one of my fears on one of my in inventory sheets. I was scared to let people in. And this program has taught me, you know, who I can trust and who I can share certain information with and then let them into my world. And um, it helped me not to want to shut the door on my past. You know, that's a that's I no longer want to shut the door on my past or regret the past. And that's um, a nice step promise. 
And I already talked about two-way prayer, so I'm not going to get into that at this point. Um, but yeah, and, and enlarging my step 11 practices, actually praying, you know, taking quiet time in the morning. My current sponsor required that of me to sit quietly for 30 minutes. 30 minutes. It felt like an eternity at first, but um, man, just, you know, reading a few devotionals, sitting quietly for a little bit. Um, first, you know, early on, my head was too busy and I was way too, you know, nervous, trembling, all of that. So I would, I would write, I started writing and that helped calm me down. And then that eventually turned into the two-way prayer practice I'm doing now. And, um, and so that has been helpful. Um, and the outreach calls were helpful, but these are all tools, right? It's God, it's God that is the hero of my story. It's not doing a bunch of tools and checking off the list. In the beginning, I had to do that to get connected and to just get out of my terrible old habits, you know? Um, but today is, I do them because I want to, because why would I want to stop doing things that are working or, or stop doing things that have helped me and God has opened up all this extra time for me too so it's not a chore anymore you know it's a pleasure um I think I would like to close um with page 89 in chapter 7 so I'm just going to turn to that um what we have to look forward to you know if, if you're new in, in the program program or in the food or struggling we all might sound like a bunch of happy people, you know, running around and we might be really annoying. I've had a newcomer tell me that recently. Everyone's so happy. Um, but it really does come. We just have to be willing to do the work. And it comes naturally. We're not forcing it. And we're not, you know, evangelists or reformers. It's just God has changed for us, you know. Um, God has changed us and, and we want to share it with others and we want to see our fellows get better. And sometimes it's hard to um, not be excited about that. You know, we have a solution. How can you not be excited about having a solution? In 80 years, 80 plus years since this book was written, there's no other solution for compulsive eaters like us. I mean, that is something to be grateful for. And um, anyway, on page 89, life will take on new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is a bright spot of our lives. And I just have to say, if you would have told me that I would have liked had friends in OA and like loved people here I would thought you were crazy but it's true I mean like you guys know me better than any of my closest friends and um I can be real and open and honest and we talk about the real stuff in life you know and we connect on not only having the same problem but also having the same solution and that there's a whole page on that, on the chapter there, the solution, the first page of it. You know, we are like, um, oh, we are like the passengers of a great liner. This is page 17. The moment after rescue from shipwreck. 
when camaraderie, joyousness, and democracy pervade the vessel from steerage to captain's table. Unlike the feelings, feelings of the ship's passengers, however, our joy in escape from disaster does not subside as we go on our individual ways. The feeling of having shared in, common, in a common peril is one element in the powerful cement which binds us. But that in itself would never have held us together as we are now joined. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution, and that's power, right? Tapping into that power. We have a way out, a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and sisterly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism or compulsive overeating. And um, I think with that, I will pass. Lack of power is our dilemma. And um, we have a problem and we have a solution. And I'm just grateful for all of you. And um, I'm looking forward to the question and answer period. And I think with that, Leah, Leah I will pass. Thank you, Liz, for such a compelling and inspiring presentation this morning. Thank you for sharing your transformation with all of us and sharing a message of hope and possibility. Greatly appreciated. The share ID for this morning, 17,857. That's 17857. We will get Liz's contact information at the conclusion of this recording. Unfortunately, we have just a bit of time for questions this morning, but you'll have an opportunity to call her to uh, pose your questions. But let's transition now, maybe one or two questions before we wrap up at 10 a.m. Eastern time here. Star one to unmute if you'd like to ask a question. I'll take maybe two questions at this point. Felicia S. Felicia S. Anyone else with a question? Great opportunity. Star one to unmute. Chris G. And Chris G. Okay, excellent. All right, Felicia, go ahead with your question, please. Yeah, thank you so much for your honesty. I'm coming back uh, from relapse today as day five. And my question to you, based on your talk, the grouch and the brainstorm, in the early part of your sobriety when you were coming back and detoxing and just for me, I related to what you said with all the the emotions. How did, you know, because the 10-step for me feels inaccessible right now. Like what are the things you were able to do in early sobriety to avoid the grouch and the brainstorm when you were first detoxing? Thank you. Great question. Um, so my current sponsor um, talks about a hospitalization period and the doctor's opinion has mentioned four times that our brain must be cleared before we can be approached, right? Before any anything in this book is really going to soak in, is to is to be 
detox, like you mentioned, off of our alcoholic um, foods, ingredients, and behaviors. And so she put me in, unknowingly, unknowingly to me, really, not officially, but in a hospitalization period. So she had um, requirements for me. I needed to make three outreach calls to recovered fellows. I needed to be on a meeting just about every day. Um, I needed to spend 30 minutes in the morning and quiet time. Um, when my head was too busy and I was too grouchy, I, like I said, I did writing. Um, I found a few devotionals that were meaningful to me. One of them that I like is the AA um, 24 hours um, devotional. It, it constantly reminds me of my disease and, and also reminds me of the loving power of my creator. So it has a meditation. 24 hours a day, AA um, um, devotional. Um, so yeah, I had I had a re- I, w- I want to say kind of a recipe. Granted, they're tools, but they were helpful to me. And then and getting into a fellowship, getting into the middle of the herd, not trying to do this by myself. So the outreach calls helped that. It was hard and painful to do in the beginning, but. Like I said, I just I was desperate and willing to go to any length, and um, and so yeah, feel free to call me and I can go into more detail on more of what those specifics are if you're interested. But yeah, hospitalization period, I had to put the oxygen mask on myself before I could be any good to anybody else in my life. I had to admit that I could not be super mom. And a crazy, you know, martyr running around and still trying to do everything for everybody and, and still take care of myself. I had to have a period of of um, hospitalization or putting myself in the ICU <laughs> in my own home. I'll pass. Thanks, Felicia, for your question. Chris G., your turn to pose a question. Well, thank you, Elizabeth. That was so uh, meaningful for me, every single idea. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, my question is is about uh, the past and the future. I'd like you to just mention one more thing about staying in the present and also like making peace with my past, like my childhood. Uh, turns out I was a grouch when I was a child. Um, I wasn't overeating I was complaining I just complained about everything as a child and so it's hard for me to give that up and also it's hard to me to make past with that to make peace to make peace with that uh, do you have any uh, any ideas on staying in the present and making peace with my grouchy past thank you sure thanks for the question could I just ask what step you're on currently Can I just ask what step you're on currently? Because that might help me give some context. Yes, I'm on step 10, 11, and 12. Okay. Um, well, for me, the, the steps process, four through nine, helped me, helped remove any, re, you know, regrets from the past. Um, I did have one um, amends that I had made in my step nine, and it didn't quite go the way I wanted. So I was kind of holding on to that in morbid reflection. Um, 
And so what I have done more recently is I have asked God to remove that obsession of that resentment or that amends not going my way. And, um, you know, that, that I didn't get the outcome I wanted, right? And that's just me being selfish. That's me being selfish, saying, no, God, you didn't get it right. I want a different outcome, you know, and that's self-centered. So um, I just took it to an inventory, you know, and um, I just, through the steps process, I, I don't regret how I was as a kid anymore. I just see myself as I was doing the best I can with what I had. I mean, I definitely had this ism. The Grouch and the Brainstorm is basically untreated alcoholism. I had this ism at a young age. I just happened to use food to try to quell it, you know? And um, so I was emotionally immature and I'm learning to grow up in this program and I have to be willing to take other fellows input and help. And um, I've heard it said like when we start engaging in our addiction, our emotional sobriety is that is the level of our emotional sobriety. So if I remember starting to compulsively eat around seven or eight, or that's when I have the most vivid memories, I had, when I came in OA, I had the emotional maturity level of a seven or eight-year-old. So I have a lot of growing up to do. And just becoming recovered, it's not like some magic wand, all of a sudden I'm going to be acting like an adult. I mean, it takes time. There's a long road of reconstruction ahead, says step nine, you know, rebuilding those relationships. But if I've gone and made amends to those people I was grouchy to, um, I should be starting to feel those promises. So maybe ask yourself about that. You know, have I made all the appropriate amends? Have I gone and cleaned up those things? Have I gone to those people and made direct amends to them? If not, maybe you still have a little bit of work in step nine to do. I don't know. I don't know your story. It's just, it's just a suggestion. But, um, you know, like, like it's, we hear that on this line all the time, if, if we're having a trouble with any one particular step, back up a step or two, and maybe it's actually trouble in that, the, the step or two preceding those steps. If we're, if we're struggling in step 10, maybe it's nine or step eight, and did I make a thorough list, step eight list of everyone I've harmed? Maybe I didn't. Maybe I have a little more work to do with my sponsor. But that'll pass. Thank you, Chris G. Of course, thank you for uh, your beautiful presentation this morning, Liz, and sharing so much about that transformation that was made possible with the application of these 12 steps, your eagerness and uh, appreciation for the process is, uh, is very obvious, very obvious and very much appreciated this morning. Again, the share ID for today is 17,857. That's 17857. And we are going to close now from page 164 in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you 
and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.